RTHK News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Sean Kennedy. Tonight's headlines. The Bar Association raises questions about the national security law while top pro-establishment figures try to ease concerns about it. The Chief Justice criticises a judge for expressing his personal views in a sentencing hearing and Japan ends a state of emergency over the coronavirus outbreak. Debate is heating up over proposed national security laws in Hong Kong as supporters and critics continue to make their voices heard. The Bar Association says today that the bill by Beijing has resulted in deep unease both locally and internationally. Here's Damon Pang. The Bar Association says the planned national security law has features that are worrying and problematic. It argues that the National People's Congress appears to have no power to enact such legislation through Annex 3 of the Basic Law. In a statement, the bar says since the draft resolution is a national law, there's no guarantee it will comply with the provisions of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, the ICCPR. China has signed a covenant, but has yet to rectify it. Barso is also concerned that the way Beijing's enacting the law is against the basic law, saying the process involves matters covered by Article 23 of the mini-constitution. He notes that according to the basic law, the Hong Kong legislature should be enacting laws. Top pro-Beijing figures tried to ease fears about the national security laws, saying people would not be prosecuted for speech crimes in future. Timmy Sung with that story. Speaking on an RTHK program, Hong Kong sole delegate to the National People's Congress Standing Committee, Tam Yu Chong, believed the draft will soon be made available because he doesn't expect the NPC Standing Committee to drag its feet on the issue. Asked if criticisms against the government and demanding officials to step down, for example, would constitute subversion of state power in the future, Mr. Tam said he disagreed. He added that freedom of speech is protected by the basic law, and Vice Premier Han Zhen has also said the law would target only a small number of people, and ordinary people won't be affected. Speaking on the same program, legal scholar Albert Chen from the University of Hong Kong also said he believes only actions to overthrow the regime will be a crime, not criticisms or expressing strong dissatisfaction. To other news, Chief Justice Jeffrey Meyer has criticised a district court judge for sympathising with a knife man who was convicted of, sm- of slashing three people at a Lennon wall last year. The Chief Justice says Judge Kwok Ken should not have expressed his personal views in the sentencing hearing. He's been removed from several other protest-related cases. The Civic Party's Dennis Kwok welcomed just Chief Justice Meyer's remarks. Justice must not only be done, must be seen to be done. I welcome the statement made by Chief Justice Jeffrey Ma today regarding a recent district court judgment which caused a lot of controversy in Hong Kong, in society, which I agree has undermined the professionalism and impartiality of the Hong Kong courts, which is most unwelcome at a time such as this. Across the political divide, Business and Professionals Alliance lawmaker and barrister Priscilla Leung says she agrees with the Chief Justice that judicial personnel should not express their political views in a high-profile manner. She also says judges who voiced support for the protest movement should also be removed from related cases. Three judges who have been reported by newspaper openly that under an anonymous basis they express clear and high-profile view on that political issue. And one judge has their name signed in a petition. So that has led to the concern of the general public. And we hope that the same 
principle will apply to those concerned judges also. To Japan now, where a state of emergency imposed on Tokyo and surrounding areas has been lifted, ending a nationwide measure to combat the coronavirus. The BBC's Rupert Wingfield-Hayes reports. After seven weeks in semi-lockdown, Japan's capital can officially start to reopen. Many have not been waiting. Over the weekend, the city's parks and shopping areas were already humming. Now people will be allowed to stay out until 10pm, although karaoke parlours, nightclubs and gyms will remain closed. The Japanese capital has not had the sort of hard shutdown seen in many European cities. Despite that, and having the world's oldest population, Japan has succeeded in keeping the epidemic well under control. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is five minutes past 11. The Exams Authority has revealed that nearly 40% of candidates who sent the DSE history paper answered that Japan did more good than harm to China in the first half of the 20th century. Officials say that showed the question, which has now been pulled from the exam, was misleading and not properly designed. The Secretary-General of the Examinations and Assessment Authority, So Kwok Sang, spoke through an interpreter in LegCo. The Hong Kong EAA was of the view that they have been misled, that is the 38%, because of the way the question was set. We did not mark the question for a number of reasons. First, the question was not set properly. It's difficult to formulate the marking scheme, and there is inappropriate leading elements in the question, which is not fair to candidates. A magistrate has criticised a former celebrity tutor for undermining the fairness of the Diploma of Secondary Education examinations as he was sentenced to 14 months in prison for leaking questions in 2016 and 2017. Timmy Sung has more. Wesley Xiao and two Chinese language oral examiners were earlier convicted of conspiracy to commit misconduct in public office by the Tumu Magistracy. Xiao was put behind bars for 14 months as the magistrate said a deterrent sentence was needed. As for the two other defendants, one was sentenced to eight months in jail, while the other was given a five-month sentence suspended for two years. In mitigation, Xiao's lawyer said his client had only wanted to review the questions early as a gimmick to attract more students, rather than to help them cheat. He said it's unexpected there would be a perception of unfairness. By passing sentence, Magistrate Kelly shows that, intentional or not, Shell's action had damaged the reputation of the key university entrance exams and the examinations and assessment authority. She questioned if he was so naive to think that it wouldn't undermine the exam system. The magistrate also criticized Shell for being carried away by his fame as a star tutor, and his friends' reputation were also ruined as a result. Shell's wife was accused of sending exam questions to her husband when she went to the bathroom in the middle of a test she was invigilating. But she was cleared of misconduct in public office. Hong Kong Broadband has been fined for failing to comply with a client's opt-out request over sales. It was fined $12,000 after pleading guilty to six charges under the Personal Data Privacy Ordinance. The West Kowloon Magistrates Court heard the firm used the client's personal data for direct marketing purposes on three occasions in 2018, even though the client had opted out of it. In a statement, the Privacy Commissioner Stephen Wong said companies should not ignore customers' opt-out requests and added that privacy is a fundamental right of an individual and is protected by law. 
People Power lawmaker Ray Chan has filed an application to launch a private prosecution against his pro-Beijing rival Kwok Wai Kung, accusing him of assault during a LegCo House Committee meeting earlier this month that descended into chaos. The Federation of Trade Unions lawmaker was filmed dragging Mr Chan on the floor for a few metres. The People Power legislator says he's filed a police report and complained that officers have not taken action against Mr Kwok. My case was happened more than two weeks and the evidence is obvious. The police force had not taken any meaningful action. We don't want to wait for a long time and more than uh, six months and no action and no results. So I, we decided to continue the perfect prosecution process. Uh, we hope the court can handle my case as soon as possible. A major civil service union has called for a pay freeze for all civil servants for three years to show solidarity with people who are suffering financially amid the economic downturn. The president of the Chinese Civil Servants Association, Li Kuai-Yin, says the group has written to the government about the proposal, which also includes reinstating this year's pay rise after the economy recovers. Overseas in Britain is reviewing how U.S. sanctions will have an impact on the involvement of Huawei in its telecoms network. The mainland tech giant says it's happy to discuss with the British authorities any concerns they may have. Here's the BBC's Gordon Carrera. On May 15th, the U.S. government announced significant additional sanctions on Huawei. That, the government says, has led to the need for a new review. Back in January, it was decided that Huawei would be allowed to play a limited role, capped at 35% of the network. But pressure has been mounting since then to change course. The Trump administration has continued its lobbying to have the UK exclude the company entirely, and a backbench rebellion has also been gathering strength. Chaos and confusion have prevailed at some of India's airports as domestic airlines partially resumed services after being grounded for two months because of coronavirus restrictions. Passengers vented their frustration and anger after more than 80 flights were cancelled in the capital Delhi alone. The BBC's Arunadeh Mukherjee reports. Flights are operating on one-third capacity with ticket prices capped, so losses for the aviation sector will continue to mount. What's making matters more complicated is that there is no one unified rule to be followed, but states have imposed different quarantine procedures, triggering several questions for uncertain travellers. Social media has been flooded with complaints of last-minute cancellations, adding to the chaos. Incidentally, flights have resumed at a time when India saw highest single-day jumps in coronavirus cases for two straight days. To other news, Saudi Arabia's Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman has been accused of trying to force a former Interior Ministry official to return to the country against his will. The official, Dr. Saad al-Jabri, used to be a key go-between for British intelligence in Saudi Arabia until he fell from favour and fled the country three years ago. According to his family, two of his children are now being held hostage. Another of his sons, Khalid al-Jabri, said his siblings were being held hostage to force their father to return. On March 16th, we received notice from uh, witnesses that state security showed up at our place in Riyadh around 6 a.m. and took Omar and Sarah from the comfort of their beds. And then basically they've been disappeared since then. We know nothing about their well-being. We know nothing about their whereabouts. We don't even know if they're dead or alive at this point. They are pawns, they are bargaining chips, they are insurance policy, 
And right now, effectively, they are hostages and the ransom is my father's return. Germany's highest civil court has ruled that Volkswagen must pay compensation to a plaintiff who bought one of its diesel cars fitted with emissions cheating software. The ruling could lead to the automaker being found liable in thousands of other such cases. From Berlin, the BBC's Jenny Hill reports. When VW admitted in 2015 that it had cheated emissions tests, one German pensioner felt particularly aggrieved. Herbert Gilbert has bought his VW Charan the year before, believing it to have been an environmentally friendly choice. Today, judges at Germany's highest civil court ruled that the car manufacturer must buy back Mr Gilbert's vehicle and, with some deductions for depreciation, give him a refund plus interest. It's a significant ruling for 60,000 other disgruntled customers who've lodged similar complaints in Germany's lower courts. Sports now. The English Premier League remains confident about restarting the season next month, despite two more positive COVID-19 results from the latest round of testing. Both of the new cases were found on Bournemouth, one of which is an unnamed player. That takes the overall total to eight positives during Phase 1 of Project Restart, which saw players resume non-contact training last week. Here's the Premier League's Chief Executive, Richard Masters. I think we're as confident as we can be. We've taken the first step. It's been a huge amount of work and consultation, discussion with clubs and players and uh, stakeholders to get us to the point where we could go back to step one of training and it's great for everybody, including the fans, to see to see our uh, players back on the training ground. In the Bundesliga, Timo Werner scored a hat-trick in RB Leipzig's 5-0 thrashing of Mainz. The German striker picking up his first goals since play resumed behind closed doors following a two-month break amid the coronavirus pandemic. The win lifted Leipzig to third in the table, seven points behind the leaders, Bayern Munich. Baseball will return to Japan next month, but without fans. Officials announced the professional baseball season will open on June the 19th behind closed doors. Teams can begin practice early next month. Japan joins South Korea and Taiwan, whose leagues are open and playing largely without fans. The Japanese baseball season was due to begin in March, and it was postponed because of the coronavirus pandemic. A reminder of our top stories tonight. The Bar Association raises questions about the national security law, while top pro-establishment figures try to ease concerns about it. The Chief Justice criticises a judge for expressing his personal views in a sentencing hearing, and Japan ends a state of emergency over the coronavirus outbreak. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3 it's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's News Wrap programme. Chief Justice Jeffrey Maher has conceded that a judge who sympathised with a knife man who slashed three people at a pro-democracy Lenin wall last August could have compromised the public's confidence in the independence and impartiality of the judiciary. Anna-Marie Evans asked Professor Simon Young from the Law Faculty at the University of Hong Kong if it was an unprecedented statement by the Chief Justice and what he made of it. 
Well, I wouldn't say it's unprecedented because this message uh, has come through in his uh, speech uh, every year at the opening of the courts. Um, I guess what is uh, somewhat uh, remarkable is uh, uh, how very strong the statement is and uh, in that he also identifies the particular judge in question. Uh, and, uh, of course, he makes a very strong statement about the importance of uh, not commenting on uh, controversial matters. Uh, of course, that's a message uh, that is directed at all judges and magistrates, but also it's a message directed to the public generally just to reassure people uh, that uh, these standards are being adhered to. Now, some have questioned the judiciary's impartiality over this case. So how far can the statement help to restore people's confidence in the rule of law? Well, it's not just the statement itself. It's uh, the action that was uh, done leading up to the statement. And uh, I think uh, one has to say that uh, uh, this was uh, action that was done quite promptly uh, and uh, and it was uh, uh, directed directly. Uh, the statement tells us that a meeting uh, was held with the judge uh, and the uh, proper standards were brought to his attention. There was a, a consensus that what uh, may have been said in the judgment was uh, not, not proper. Uh, and hence uh, the matter has been uh, dealt with. And now uh, the public statement uh, just tells us uh, what has been happened and, and tells us about the importance of these uh, values uh, and standards of uh, independence of the judiciary, impartiality, uh, and also integrity. Now, the Department of Justice has decided not to review the sentence, saying it's in line with similar crimes. Uh, what do you think of that? Well, I don't know all the circumstances uh, of this case. Um, I do know that the sentence was quite substantial, uh, having regard to the maximum that the district court can impose uh, in any one case being seven years. Uh, so uh, this was quite a, a substantial sentence. Um, uh, so uh, I guess the Department of Justice has looked at uh, all of uh, the uh, circumstances and notwithstanding whatever was said by the judge has, uh, uh, found, has determined that this is a just and appropriate sentence and that would, any review of sentence would not be successful. Now critics say the judiciary has yielded to the pressure of anti-government protesters while some judges who've given light sentences to protesters haven't been removed from similar cases. So what do you make of this view and, and how far should the replacing of judges go? To be perfectly clear about what's happened here, it's not uh, the sentence itself, uh, whether it's light or heavy. Uh, I think what was uh, problematic here were, were the comments that were made by the judge. Uh, comments which, uh, the, as, a, as the Chief Justice's statement has said, was, were unnecessary uh, and may have uh, given uh, the public uh, the perception uh, that the judge perhaps may have been uh, biased or, or there was at least uh, from the point of view of a fair-minded, informed observer that there might be bias. Uh, and hence, that's the reason why uh, uh, there's been some action taken. Uh, so if, uh, regardless of what one's political view may be, if uh, cer certain statements were made uh, maybe in favor of protesters uh, that were also uh, inclined to uh, give this impression of bias, uh, then uh, I'm sure that similar action would be taken. So how does, uh, how does all of this, do you feel, affect Hong Kong's judicial independence? Well, um, this is uh, the proper steps. I mean, uh, you, have, you have to understand that uh, judges, uh, at the end of the day, are human, and uh, human beings have uh, emotions and perceptions and, and feelings about things that are happening in our society. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it's, just, it's not uh, unforeseeable that someone might uh, make a statement like this uh, in their judgment uh, or even outside of one's work. But uh, I think uh, the system has uh, uh, procedures in place uh, and mechanisms uh, to address uh, ill comments. 
uh, and uh, and this is an instance where they have been, has been corrected uh, quite promptly uh, and quite uh, with with quite strong uh, assertion of uh, authority and clarity uh, in terms of what the standards uh, need to be so uh, i think in whatever um, uh, lack of confidence people may have had uh, or concerns that people may have had this is a statement that will hopefully uh, reassure people uh, that uh, these standards are being adhered to Greenpeace is calling on the government to step up its preparedness for the kind of once-in-a-decade storm that battered Hong Kong in 2018. The Green Group says climate change will make typhoons such as Mankut more frequent, flooding areas inhabited by tens of thousands of residents and causing billions of dollars in damage. Francis Young, a senior campaigner with Greenpeace, told Richard Pine that Mankut showed how woefully unprepared Hong Kong is. During Mankut two years ago, it was really lucky that nobody died from that storm. But we still remember that many places in Hong Kong were seriously flooded, for example, Hong uh, Chun, and also many areas in Yunlong uh, and Sai Kong. And actually, Hong Kong faced a few days of lockdown after that storm. So according to research of Hong Kong Observatory, if the global carbon emission continue to rise, by the middle of this century, Hong Kong will see once in a decade the storm surge similar to Mancus more often. We can see that this kind of extreme weather events may become more frequent. So we need to get really well prepared for the future. So um, which areas of Hong Kong will be worst affected by storms like this? According to our assessments, in Hong Kong, there will be uh, 28 kilometers of areas, which is equal to uh, 147 Victorial parks, will be threatened by a storm surge like this. And we observe that more of the affected areas are in the northwestern parts of Hong Kong, that is Yunlong and North District in which about 60,000 people will be uh, flattened. Many areas in Yunlong and North Districts are low-lying areas. So uh, when a storm surge comes, they are more easily flooded. What do we think the economic cost of these sort of storms on Hong Kong will be? We can look back at the experience of Mankut. After Mankut, the insurance claim for this disaster is totally about 2.9 billion Hong Kong dollars. So you can see uh, the economic loss is quite big. So what can be done to prepare for events like this? When we foresee the climate change will be getting more and more serious, Hong Kong must get prepared for those impacts. So we think the Hong Kong government should assess the impacts of climate change and identify which areas will be more impacted and then develop policies to adapt to climate change impact. So we think that the government should review whether our infrastructure is resilient enough to stand for those climate disasters. For example, we observed that the Hong Kong government's the manual for port worst design. Many data in that manual are already outdated. For example, we observed that it underestimates the sea rise in the future. So uh, if we continue uh, to design our infrastructure according to that manual, it will not be enough. So the government should review it and then strengthen our infrastructure. For short-term measures, the government uh, need to uh, 
prepare for the typhoon season because right now it's already May, so the typhoon season is coming. So for short-term measures, uh, it can do things like improve the drainage system, make sure it is not stuck. And but for longer term, I think it should review the design menu uh, for our infrastructure, update those data like a sea level rise forecast, so uh, to make sure that the new design for new infrastructure is resilient enough to stand for climate disaster in the future. The British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has used the government coronavirus briefing to defend his senior adviser Dominic Cummings. Mr Cummings has faced calls to resign after it emerged he'd driven several hundred kilometres to the northeast of England while his wife had symptoms of coronavirus. Mr Johnson made it clear he would be standing by his right-hand man. Our correspondent in London, Peter Anderson, told Anna-Marie Evans that the Prime Minister has come under criticism from all sides. It's a bad day for Boris because not only is it criticism from the opposition parties, there is also criticism from church leaders and significantly around 18 Conservative MPs, so members of Boris Johnson's own party, who have criticised this situation. There are huge pressures now on Dominic Cummings, who is, as you say, the right-hand man, the chief advisor to Boris Johnson, either to step aside or be sacked. And there is a lot of anger within Conservative ranks that this whole issue is distracting. It's distracting from what is more important here, and that is making sure people follow the rules on self-distancing, self-isolation. And it is leading to ongoing claims of one rule for them, one rule for us. What has uh, emerged in the past few moments is that we are expecting a formal request for Durham Police, that is the police force that is in charge of the area to which Dominic Cummings uh, travelled, there will be a formal request for them to formally investigate this matter. Whether charges follow is still to be seen, but uh, it does seem that they will be asked to investigate, to look into this. And after all, this was a 425-kilometre trip, so 850-kilometre round trip at a time just days after the UK had gone into lockdown. And what's quite extraordinary, he was off to see his parents so they could look after the kids, wasn't it, while his corona, while he had a coronavirus-positive wife? Uh, yes, and the, the advice from the UK government, made just a few days uh, earlier, was that people must stay at home. That was the mantra that Boris Johnson was saying at the podium at number 10. Um, there are some extenuating circumstances. There are issues on child safety, neglect of children. But many people are saying that that did not come into play. At the time that Dominic Cummings was said to have travelled to Durham from his London home, his wife was said to have been showing uh, signs of coronavirus, but he himself at that point was not showing any signs. He was perfectly healthy, so there seems to be no risk at that point that one or other of the parents wouldn't have been able to look after their four-year-old son. What is also significant, there are a lot of people now saying, did he have to stop during the journey? Did he stop off at a service station, for example, to get petrol that could have put other people at risk? And there are reports that Dominic Cummings and his family were seen at a town uh, called Barnard Castle. That is about 50 kilometres from Durham, and it is being reported here that during his time at his parents' residence, he actually had a family day out, a 100-kilometre round trip, again breaking the rules on lockdown. Yeah, extraordinary. Uh, but uh, it's interesting, this dynamic between the Prime Minister and uh, Dominic Cummings. I mean, I'm seeing sort of, you know, uh, c comparisons made to the monkey in the organ grinder, calling Dominic Cummings uh, Svengali. So what sort of a hold does he have over Boris Johnson? And is he really the one who's calling the shots? Well, many people 
people close to Downing Street think that Dominic Cummings is somebody who has far too much power. It is evident that he has a close friendship, a very close working relationship with Boris Johnson. Dominic Cummings has been close to government for the best part of two decades. He has been an advisor to various government ministers, but his relationship, his working relationship with Boris Johnson grew during the campaign for the UK to leave the EU. Boris Johnson was the face of that campaign, but Dominic, Dominic Cummings has been credited with much of the work behind the scenes to determine the direction of that campaign, and Dominic Cummings is seen as one of the pivotal figures in securing a vote for the UK to leave the EU. That means the two men are very close, that means that there is huge loyalty on both sides, and certainly Boris Johnson would be very loath to see Dominic Cummings fall from his senior team. Now, while I've got you on the line, Peter, a change of subject, but one, of course, that's very pertinent to Hong Kong. And this is uh, in Britain. The Sunday Express newspaper uh, yesterday reported that uh, Boris Johnson has a secret plan to allow hundreds of thousands of Hong Kong citizens to come to Britain. Can you elaborate on that? Yes, this is a, a meeting that is said to have taken place at Chequers, which is the Prime Minister's official country residence a few months ago. And at that meeting, which was attended by Cabinet colleagues as well as senior executives, senior civil servants, it is said that Boris Johnson laid out a plan for up to 315,000 people in Hong Kong who currently hold British national overseas passports to be given the right to come to the UK to claim residence in the UK if there is a further clampdown of the rights uh, imposed by Beijing. Uh, there is not an official comment on this at the moment, but it has led to all manner of uh, speculation and follow-up reports. For example, whether this would breach the UK-Chinese joint declaration made way back in 1984 on the future of Hong Kong. So there are huge political implications from this. Uh, if it does go ahead, the issue would be, would it be restricted to the 315,000 people who effectively would move from having the right to, to visit the UK for six months to take, to take citizenship, but would it also extend to their extended family and more widely in the community? This has huge implications, not least for the political and diplomatic row that such a move could cause between London and Beijing. Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Sean Kennedy from our newsroom. The government is now handing out a free reusable mask, the Q-Mask, to all Hong Kong residents. Each mask will remain effective for 60 washes. Visit qmask.gov.hk to register for you and your family online by June 6th. The masks will be delivered to your door. Primary and kindergarten students will get masks from schools later, so there's no need to register for them. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December. We'll have moments to remember. 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 Wow, what a weird introduction. Welcome to Nostalgia. With Uncle Ray from now until 1 a.m., this is our kind of music. The brilliant Liberace at the piano.
the famous Liberace and Over the Rainbow. Here's our good friend Jim Reeves. I love you because you understand it. Every single thing I try to do. Every time I'm walking 